in terms of recruitment at the moment, maybe we're not looking specifically for a specialty coffee experienced barista. And for all the short-term pain that we're going through, I really feel wholeheartedly that this is a fantastic thing long-term because it has made us all take stock and go, okay, what are we doing well? What can we be doing better? How is this from the worker's perspective? I remember in 2009, and I spoke to the guys from Taylor Street Baristas, and they were like, yeah, you can pay people. As long as they're happy, they'll come and work for you. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't work anymore. When I come to work, I don't want it to be a stressed environment all the time where there aren't enough team members. I want to be able to work in an environment where there's space and air for me to breathe and look at what my future might look like in this industry. Welcome back to the Fifth Wave podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Coffee Business Magazine, Fifth Wave. The hospitality industry is right now experiencing one of the biggest staffing shortages in living memory. We cover the scale of this issue in our July 2021 episode, The Hospitality Staffing Crisis. The pandemic impact has influenced baristas, waiting staff and chefs to reconsider their careers in hospitality, often in search of a better work-life balance and higher wages. In this episode, we're exploring how small, independent coffee and hospitality businesses attract and retain staff in the current climate and the solutions they're trialling. We'll be speaking with three London-based businesses, Sheila Ryan and Joe Mason from Lantana, Karina Cohen from Stint, Peter Dorsmith at Caffeine. But to kick things off, we're speaking with Marion Plagisco, owner at Happy Baristas, an independent specialty coffee shop based in Berlin. Let's hear from Marion about how he's pivoted his recruitment strategies. Welcome, Marion. Thank you very much for having me. When it comes to trying to recruit, is it just it's almost impossible to recruit currently? At the moment, it is almost impossible to find qualified people. Everyone's really like lowering their expectations when they're hiring at the moment just to actually find someone. When it comes to attracting someone, I think everyone's realizing that offering a better wage might be the way to go at the moment. But if the fact is that a lot of good baristas, if we're talking about specifically about our field, simply left to pursue it, uh, different careers. Yeah, wow. So what solutions are you implementing in, in your business? Uh, up until recently, we have been serving daily brunch. And it's been going on for five years. And last Sunday was our last day of brunch because it just became impossible to go on with that and we wanted to go back to being a proper specialty coffee shop and kind of slow down a little bit and give our staff a little break as well because branch service was very busy for us so the team at the moment again is reduced i think by two people the menu is structured in a way that we only have two people behind the bar at any point of time and any day even the busy weekends where we used to, before Corona, with, with brunch service and everything, we used to actually have six people in wow. the front and on the floor, sort of in like two shifts. And we changed the menu in a way that it is doable for these two people to be able to handle 
all of this and still deliver great service and great products. When talking about automation, for example, in all our cold drinks, nitro coffee, nitro iced tea, and our lemonades, and even a cocktail, everything cold we have on tap, for example. And this allows us to be much faster at a service. For example, instead of making a regular iced latte by pulling a shot, pouring in the milk, and so on and so on, which would take you a minute and a half, we have an iced latte on tap, which takes about 10 seconds to pour. So we're looking at these kind of efficiencies behind the bar, but in terms of profitability, with this amount of staff and this type of a menu, we are expecting to see half of the turnover that we used to do, but we are also expecting to be actually more profitable. In thinking about the types of people that you may hire now in this post-pandemic era, any changes to what your own recruitment strategy might be? So I'm going to be very honest, but there are people applying for the job who don't really even read the job ad properly. So we'd be getting applications with CVs that kind of shows you experience and skill and let's say, I don't know, fashion design. Mm. And then on top of it would be, oh, and I enjoy drinking coffee. So in terms of recruitment at the moment, maybe we're not, looking specifically for a specialty coffee experienced barista because that is a rare breed at the moment our most recent hire is a girl that came from starbucks she has worked in starbucks for i think about five years now so she has lots of experience and i mean yeah there are differences between specialty coffee and starbucks but in terms of systems and hygiene. I think these chains have these things covered fully. And there's so much that we even can learn from that. And I've seen a potential in that. I'm like, well, if you want to learn about specialty coffee, we're very happy to take you on board because I know that I can work with that kind of experience. I believe that the chains as well are progressing. They see what's happening, where the trend is going, and they're trying to keep up with what specialty coffee is doing. And I do believe that they're also investing much more time and energy and money into training their staff. So I think this might be a way in this tough situation and be a bit more open-minded about it. And if we're willing to train and, and there are people who are willing to learn, I think this might be the way to go at this really hard times. Is that the solution? Time will tell us. Thanks, Marianne, for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Thank you very much. So, in summary, to cope in this short-staffed environment, Marion is now targeting employees who have worked within the larger coffee chains. Is this the solution the specialty coffee industry has overlooked? We now speak with Sheila Ryan and Joe Mason, co-founder and operational director, respectively, at Lantana, to understand how a small cafe group is attracting talent to their business. Lentana is an independent casual dining and specialty cafe chain based in London. Established in 2008, today it operates five cafes, two of which were opened recently. Welcome. Thank you. Hi. Am I right in saying that access to great staff is a challenge for your business or where are you guys at with that? Yes, that's probably the understatement of the century. (laughs) It's been tough. I think in terms of access to great staff, we're quite lucky. We've got very good teams. 
in all of our sites who have been with us for quite a long time, a lot of them, but obviously expanding (laughs) and trying to recruit new people is quite tough at the moment. Yeah, I mean, in the 12 years that I've been running Lantana, it just seems to have been increasingly getting more and more difficult. And then COVID happens. And for a brief second, I thought, oh, wow, this is going to turn around because all of a sudden there seemed to be so many people looking for work, but it was a false environment. And then when restaurants, you know, reopened and it seems to be still people leaving in droves, it became absolutely impossible, unlike anything I've ever seen, to recruit new people. So how do you go about it now? Do you recruit internally? Do you use agencies? For us, the most successful thing has been word of mouth. But it feels almost pointless putting an ad up because you look on any recruitment site and there's just thousands of ads and they don't necessarily know anything about you or your company or your values. And it's very hard to get that across on paper. So word of mouth is by far the best tool because obviously the people who work for you work for you for a reason and they love Lantana. So trying to get them to be evangelical about recruiting their friends has been by far the most successful recruitment. But yeah. So, you know, thinking ahead here, what are the steps that businesses like yours are going to have to take to be able to attract people into their businesses going forward? Yeah, I think I think it's quite interesting because I think um especially for chefs, it was starting to get tough before the Brexit COVID situations. You know, there's been a very long history of hospitality and chefs not being paid well, expected to work long hours, pretty poor conditions with no acknowledgement to what they're doing. So it's quite nice to see that having to change, I think, across the industry. I think we had a conversation the other day and realized we don't necessarily shout about these things as much as we should, because I think for us, they should just be standard for joining We've enrolled everybody into hospitality action. So they've got support in personal and work lives and everything from mental health to finances to counselling if they need. Like the work-life balance thing is a big one. I mean, fortunately, a lot of our sites are more daytime as well, which helps. And then, yeah, and things like the hours that people want, but not expecting someone to do 60-hour weeks that you get in a lot in the industry. And Yeah, if they do choose to work long hours that they get paid for it. It's to their benefit. Which are all things which should be standard. (laughs) Yeah, rules that apply to other industries are now having to be followed in hospitality, which, as Joe says, is a great thing. And that's something that I really noticed the difference between, you know, coming from Australia to coming here. When I was working, we were always, you know, the penalty rates. I mean, you can make a lot of money in hospitality in Australia and it's treated like a career. And here I found it was very much seen as a second tier career. So we're consciously taking on junior people and training them and getting them to see that there is a a career progression within Lantana because we're having to take on people who are not necessarily at the skill level that usually we would hire because there's just so much demand for that skill level. So yeah, taking on more junior people, people straight out of school and helping them to see this as a really worthwhile and, you know, rewarding career. So chefs are a problem. What about sort of the coffee side? Baristas are equally as difficult to fill. We're needing to take junior people in all areas. So for the kitchens, for for coffee, for floor service, for everything, and then train them ourselves. And when we've done that recently, I mean, we've got people that haven't ever worked in speciality coffee before, and they're coming and spending a week or two weeks with our head barista in the site 
getting them up to standard, teaching them about it, having our roaster come in and teach people as well. So we have our teams all trained, but it's not the same as before where you can just put an ad up and you've got, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 CVs coming in saying, hey, look, we've worked in all these places. We know what we're doing. We can come straight in and work. The process takes a bit longer now. You don't get someone to start and within a couple of days, they're there making coffees. You have someone that works alongside someone for a week or two. And so what are, what are some of the things that floor staff or just overall people are kind of saying is important to them? Interesting. It, it's not always about money, is it? It's, mm. it's definitely feeling valued, feeling listened to. I mean, the number of times I've just heard, I, I want to be communicated to, I want to know what's going on. So that's, you know, sharing information is actually not just good for us in that they understand the complexities of running a business, but also for them because they feel like, okay, I'm part of this and I can help. I have a voice and I, I can be heard. So to summarize here, the keys to hiring great people in your business, what do you think those are going to be? I mean, all the things we've kind of mentioned, I guess, but I think part of it is switching how you do recruitment as well. I mean, it used to be in the past that you'd post an ad and that was it. You you'd just sit there flicking through, choosing the best ones. I think now you can post the ad, but then you have to actively spend days calling people and selling yourself, telling people your company values, your benefits, the things you're trying to do to get people on board with you and find the right person. Absolutely. And for all the short-term pain that we're going through, I really feel wholeheartedly that this is a fantastic thing long-term to have happened to hospitality because it has made us all take stock and go, okay, what are we doing well? What can we be doing better? How is this from the worker's perspective? And how can we make that as good as possible? And, you know, we should all be thinking of that, but it's, you know, thrown it into very sharp relief. Wonderful. Sheila, Joe, that's been great to have you here today. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Jeffrey. I really admire Sheila's final words. COVID has forced the hospitality industry into the 21st century. The tables have turned, and to have a thriving business in today's market, we must offer our hospitality staff working conditions that are normal in other industries. And now we're going to touch on an unusual yet fascinating HR solution by speaking with Karina Cohen, Managing Director of Hospitality Operations at Stint. Stint is a startup that helps hospitality businesses address the staffing pain points by matching schedules with university students who live locally and who want to work for just a few hours at a time. Karina herself has spent her entire career in hospitality, moving from the restaurant floor to developing tech-focused and labour efficiency solutions. Welcome, Karina. Thanks for having me. Tell us about Stint. What is Stint? It was founded 2018 by two brothers. Sol and Sam, and they were at university in London. They saw something, actually. They saw this inability for students to really not have to compromise on their university experience because of the type of jobs that they had to do. And they racked their brains to think, well, how, you know, how could students work in a, a more suitable way for them? So working when they want, where they want. And then they said, OK, so who's going to use it? And Sam actually trawled, he must have went to like a thousand businesses. But what he very quickly discovered was that for the hospitality industry, this inability to create efficient and effective schedules was really, really like stark. It was, re it was really an obvious gap. 
to fill. So Stint, we now have, I think it's over 200 employees at Stint. And uh, we're working with some of the biggest hospitality operators in the UK. Before we go even deeper now, I'd just like to ask, what kind of roles are you filling? So it's all front of house and, you know, obviously some um, help with kitchen portering. So nothing else in the kitchen because all of that requires skill. But we have teams working in coffee shops and they're helping to, you know, keep the crockery and the product out the front and clear the tables and put the dishes through the dishwasher, etc., We have people who work on the pass in restaurants and they might be doing some of the mise en place. We have people doing laying tables, clearing, like bussing tables in restaurants. Really, to be honest, clearing glasses, bar backing. Bar backing is a big one in the kind of wet wet lead drink trade because that's huge, right? If Mm -hmm. If you go to the bar and you're queuing at the bar and the barman has to leave to get, you know, another tray of pint glasses. Yeah. That's a problem. I mean, it doesn't just affect you. It's like the next 12 people in the in the queue. And in terms of timing and rhythm of the business, it creates these bottlenecks that the stints are able to release. If you think about coffee shops, actually, like imagine there's no teaspoons or you run out of cups. Like you have to leave your station. And that really in a coffee shop, like every... 15 seconds extra that you're waiting for your coffee, it leaves a mark on your experience. And imagine like, if you can put enough people on your peak hours, like, so you have enough physical people so that you can give, you know, Tom and Jessica every second Saturday off. And you can still do an amazing job and delight all your guests or your customers. That's huge. But also, a couple of three-hour stints or shifts, the cost of that is relative to how much more money you can take if you reduce the time at, you know, if you're a coffee shop, how much time am I spending in the queue? How many drop-offs do you get at the, bu- the back end of the queue? Or if I'm a restaurant, how many more tables can I turn? If the servers are focused on the guest whilst the stints come in and clear the tables and relay them, how many more second drinks can I sell? Like, I always like to really bring it back to imagining yourself in a restaurant and how many times you're kind of like, you know, you want the next drink, but no one's arriving because actually they're too busy. They're busy like clearing other tables or doing things that don't actually drive revenue. It's not their fault. It's just a, it's a, a consequence of, of poor scheduling or inability to match shifts to demand, actually. Why do you think people are leaving the hospitality industry? I don't think the reason people are leaving the industry is because everybody in it is so awful because they're not, you know. It's just about this need to really double down on how people's lives are in the industry from like, how many hours do I get? When do I get them? When do I know about them? That type of thing. I don't think it's about it's such a terrible place to work, you know. I think there's lots and lots of opportunity to change the face of how hospitality people feel about working in hospitality because so much of the churn is and there's lots and lots of data that suggests it but lots and lots of the churn is a result of poor scheduling management actually because it's hard it's hard to do it well you know it's like I want to know when I'm working I want to know ahead of time when I'm working when I come to work I don't want it to be a stressed environment all the time where there aren't enough team members. 
I want to be able to work in an environment where there's space and air for me to breathe and look at what my future might look like in this industry. If I want to manage or, you know, move up the industry, it's an unbelievable place to have a career. But you can't look at the assistant manager or the manager and think, oh, goodness, I don't want their job because it's so hard. And most of what's hard is connected to hiring people, keeping people and wondering whether we'll have enough people to open the doors tomorrow. Like if we don't solve that, it's just going to be a a continuous vicious circle, right? One of the things that we've seen in the hospitality sector, there's been an increase in salaries. Are you seeing that that's fed through your own business? It's a flat rate that we're paying anyway. So I don't think we're seeing that as much as the industry is. And I, I think that's just on the basis of of what we do um, and what we're asking the students to do and the nature of how much in control they are of, of how much of it they do. You know, if we think about the industry, I guess they have to draw in skilled team. And that's what the biggest struggle is, I think, is getting people who are experienced within the industry. I think if you talk to the industry at the moment, they are having to hire a younger workforce themselves to do skilled work. If they want to obtain those skilled workers, yeah, I mean, there are some crazy salaries having to be paid to draw people in at the moment. How sustainable that is, I don't know. But yeah, it's not, it's not affecting us as much as you might think at the moment. So I'm still focusing on the nuts and bolts of stint here. After a student does a single stint, can they request to go back to the same hospitality establishment? We have a matching algorithm. So the student rates the business and the business rates the student, Mm -hmm. and we will absolutely match them back together if they like each other. And the student can absolutely pick up the stint again in in that business because they should be recurring, the actual Mm. stints themselves, if we've got the modelling right. And then the students very often are, are, yes, looking for the stints that they did that they liked. And we have some really interesting conversations with the industry now about like, what do we need to do to get the students to want to come back to us? And we're like, well, feed them, number one. What else? What else can a business do to keep students coming back? Give them a voucher, give them a discount. Some people are like, if they get X number of five-star ratings, they get a free meal for them and a friend. Anything that's like simple and easy to do. They're com- like one business recently, they've got this book of voucher prizes that they give out to their own team. And they were like, can we give these to the students? And we were like, of course you can, you know, but make sure that just like with your own team, it's on the basis of they did a great job. and you know, then absolutely. Because, you know, in order for like the students and the businesses to really integrate with each other, that's how it has to be. There has to be this willingness to bring them in as part of your workforce. Okay, it's different, but it doesn't mean it, they can't fit into your culture really well. Great. Well, thanks, Karina, for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Thank you very much. It seems to me that the value of companies like Stint is that they enable operators to focus on nurturing their core team of skilled workers by partnering with students to take on time-critical, menial tasks. This gives the core team an opportunity to work in a less stressful atmosphere, to have a better work-life balance, and ultimately reduce staff turnover. And finally, we now speak with Peter Dorr-Smith, founder and director of one of London's most iconic cafe brands, Caffeine. 
Peter opened the first caffeine coffee shop, that's caffeine spelt with a K, back in 2009. And he opened his second store some three or four years ago. On any given day, both stores are flooded with eager customers served by passionate, highly skilled baristas. Peter certainly hasn't been immune to the hospitality staffing crisis, but he hasn't been as badly affected as others. His secret is quite simple, building a business where your staff are happy and they want to work for you. Let's hear from Peter how he does it. Welcome, Peter. Thank you very much for the invite. I appreciate it. When you're looking for staff, what are you actually looking for? The first thing is experience. Because I'm such a busy stall with high standards, we, we do need people who can come in with the experience. But then really importantly, it's also about the attitude of the person and how they fit in with their personality with the team as well. What kind of experience are we looking for? A few months? Years? At, at least probably a year within a, a specialty coffee shop. I mean, originally, when I first opened in 2009, I put on my uh, website that all baristas must have three years' experience of making coffee. And, and that was maybe a wrong thing to do, but it, it also set a standard, I think, that baristas who work here are, are really experienced and know what they're doing. You can't do that these days. That doesn't quite work. So you need to have that experience of at least a year in a similar establishment or a hospitality-based establishment to be able to get a look in here. And trial shifts, are they, are they part of the experience of coming on board at Caffeine? Yes, they are. So the way I, that we find staff, basically, people apply to us directly. So they'll send through their email or their CV or send a message, say, I'm looking for a job. You know, I've read about you or seen you on Instagram. And then, of course, there's the ones who apply when we advertise. And, and generally, I would do that through the coffee jobs board. And so then, yeah, it, it really is quite a long process in I think it was March 2020, we, we advertised and we had 65 applications. Wow. So now when you think about it, you, first you have to put the ad out. But that might take you half an hour to make sure it's good. And then you start getting all these applications. So first you have to read it and that might just take you 10 minutes. Then I call them and I sort of see it as a stage by stage process. So you, you make one stage, you either pass or fail. Or you make the next stage, you pass or fail effectively. So CV first, you know, call that person give them a phone call, sort of get an understanding about them on the telephone, what they're like. And then I would say, okay, yes, I'd like to see you for a face-to-face. That then as they come in and we sit down face-to-face and it's more about having a general conversation first and understanding that person. And then we start to talk a little bit about coffee. And then we also get them on the coffee machine, if they're a barista, to make some coffee for about 15, 20 minutes with our baristas, just to assess where they are. But importantly, and I also say this to a lot of the people who apply, it's, it's also about them or you making sure you're making the right choice too you know making sure you're making the right choice that you're coming into a place that's established and reputable and has systems and processes and will after you because you don't want to make that wrong choice it's a bad decision for everybody and then once they've got through that interview process then it's a trial shift and that's from 7 15 to around 11 15 a four-hour trial shift and from there we would then make the decision on whether we would offer the position or not yeah so how many of those 65 might make it through to a trial shift in that instance maybe four or five yeah yeah and then from that i can't remember it was probably two actually i do remember actually it was two baristas who we employed but then you know i advertised um november maybe uh start of october approximately and i had three applications right but that's also happened before. You know, I know in the past, and I know from working at the cricket club before I opened my shop, you know, I was the staffing manager of the Lord's Cricket Ground. And I know that recruitment is much easier 
at certain times of year than it is the others. Yep. There's times of year that people are looking for jobs and are available, and I would say January is one of those fantastic times. And September, October is not really. December, definitely not. What would you say is your real key to success in attracting and retaining the best staff in London, potentially? Respect. As soon as they walk in the door, basically, and just really trusting them and showing them that, that you trust them and that you respect them as people and for who they are. And then hopefully that's reciprocated back. And then also creating a, a place that's a, a good place to work, that they're happy to work and that they know they can get learning from and they can develop from. You know, I can only offer so much. I've only two shops and I'm not expanding across the country or into the Middle East or anything. So I can't offer lots and lots of progression. But I think if anyone has the chance to read uh, my blog, which is called The Caffeine Alumni, 12 Years of Legends. You know, I've gone back over the last 12 years and looked at lots of different people who worked here and what they achieved when they were here and what they've achieved since then. So I like to think that if you have an interest in hospitality or an interest in coffee, you can come here and work and, and further your career. We haven't talked about one of the reasons why people work, and that's they work to get paid a living. That's right. So how important is the salary in terms of attracting people to your business? It's pretty huge. I remember in 2009, and I spoke to the guys from Taylor Street Baristas, and they were like, yeah, you can pay people. As long as they're happy, they'll come and work for you. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work anymore. Yeah, when I first opened, we were on minimum wage. 2009, everyone was on zero-hours contracts because I, I didn't know if the business was going to survive. I didn't know really what else to do. I couldn't offer full-time salary contracts. But you know, even these days, probably about three or four years ago, I interviewed someone, a young lady, and said, well, you know, this is the rate of, of probably about £9.50 an hour at the time. or not. And she basically cried. She's like, I can't afford to live on that. That's, I can't do that. I was like, wow, this is you know, not very good. My current manager, Jessica, who's been with us for six years, is really, really very good with looking after people, uh, making sure that people work the right amount of hours and have a really good work-life balance. And, and we're trying very hard not to disturb people outside of their working hours and also paying people a decent wage. But it's really, really difficult to manage that from a commercial point of view and have a labour cost that's reasonable and therefore basically a profit margin on your end cost that's reasonable as well. Because you can pay people all the money you want in the world, but if your business doesn't survive and collapses, then they, they don't have a job and you don't have a business. I found out probably 2012 or something that, that we were paying above the London living wage. And I would just happen to be doing that. So I was like, oh, wow. So now I'm going to apply and get recognized for the London living wage. And maybe back then it was around £8.80 an hour. I can't remember for sure. And I got recognized for that. And I was like the first coffee shop. And Boris Johnson came down to the shop and said, oh, you're doing a great job. And it was all this. It was all fantastic. And I think regrettably, it caused a few problems because the London living wage then started going up four or five percent every year. And while that's the fact and that's the reality, you, it's really difficult to put your wages up 4 or 5% every year. So these days, I think what we do is I, and I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, it's just what we do. So if I employ someone now, they get paid £10.50 an hour. Yep. And that's for their first, say, three months before that probation period. And then we say when you become a senior person, a senior barista or a senior service person, you go up to the London living wage, which is just over £11 an hour now. So I'm not offering a London living wage to everybody straight off the bat, but we're offering it to someone who can come in and work and show that they can do the job and we're happy and they're happy. And then they get the London living wage. 
Yeah, another thing that we did is before the pandemic, since 2009, I closed the shop at 6 p.m. So if you were managing the store for the whole day, you would get there at 7, you open the doors at 7.30, uh, we close the doors at 6, and then you're out the door by 7 o'clock. By the time you get home, it's 8 o'clock. By the time you have your dinner, it's 9 o'clock, and then you're basically you're in bed, you know. After the pandemic, though, we started closing at 5 o'clock, and it's been absolutely fantastic. You know, just closing that one hour earlier. So someone does those same hours, but they're basically home at their house by 7 p.m. generally. You don't make much money between five or six. I've got three staff working, so just close earlier and get people home. And that's made a real massive difference, even to me, just enjoying my own family time and family life. It's really good. Pete, thanks for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. You're welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you. I really admire Peter's framework for hiring and retaining his staff. He puts a strong focus on training and development, on paying a living wage, and ensuring they enjoy a good work-life balance. In the next episode, we look at recruitment and retention through the lens of larger-scale businesses, the challenges they have, and the solutions they're applying. That's all this week for the Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to the Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate a good rating if you enjoyed this show. Subscribe to us also on Instagram at Fifth Wave Coffee. That's the number five, followed by TH Wave Coffee, all one word. Tell us what topics are important to you so we can make the show more relevant to you and to your business. This episode was produced at the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, the World Coffee Portal team, James Harper of Filter Productions, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. And for this week's song from the Coffee Music Project, here's Summer Blue by Iris Loon. Have a great week, and until next time, stay safe and stay caffeinated.
Okay. 